Father, please do incline our ears to listen to your words. Help us to know them to be good food for our souls. Would we understand you and know you better? Would our hearts be turned afresh to you this evening? And help me to be faithful as I speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, have you ever heard the, that mocking phrase? It goes something like this. Ha! Where is your God now? Maybe in TV shows or movies or maybe in real life. My friends in high school, they would um, sometimes say that to me when things didn't go my way. Uh, they knew I was a minister's kid and... That came with what that came with. And it wasn't a genuine attempt to disprove the existence of God. It wasn't an argument. It was just ridicule. What they were saying was that that thing that God you're affiliated with, that's a useless and and stupid thing, and you are the same. Again, the aim of, of, of those words wasn't to debunk It was just to demoralize. Maybe you can relate to that personally. Maybe as a Christian you've you've heard the same thing. Not in those words perhaps, but certainly the same tone. Disregard. Contempt. It's hurtful. Maybe you've not experienced this personally, but uh, as Christians in in this nation, maybe you've felt this. We do live in an increasingly secular, skeptical, individualistic society. And when those principles come into contact with the gospel of Jesus dying for sinners to secure eternal life with a relationship with God, the result is often mockery and ridicule. Subsequently, as Christians in this country, we might begin to feel like lesser citizens, ashamed even, It seems like it's not okay to speak in such terms about most people groups in society today without serious consequences, but Christians, Christianity, Jesus, well, that's all still fair game. Feel free to take your shots. Sometimes it feels we're not held to the same regard as others, and it's hurtful. Think about some more examples later on, but the reason I bring that up is because that is a situation we find ourselves in this psalm. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. Have mercy upon us, Lord, have mercy upon us. Why? For we have had enough, more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. Contempt, disregard, disdain, dislike, comes from those who are at ease, and that can be hurtful. Remember, um, just a bit of context, we are in the Psalms of Ascent, the the playlists of songs, as Johnny said, the people of God would sing on their way to the city of God for celebrations, for worship of God, in festivals and ceremonies. And as they ran through this playlist of songs, they came in kind of three albums. There were the Psalms of Distress, the the, the Psalms of, of Hope, as it were, and the Psalms of Arrival, And these are representative of the people's relationship with God, what their experience of him was and and was to be. He was the one that they could cry out to in times of distress when the journey was tough, the one in whom they rejoiced and the one in in whom they hoped in during the journey. 
and the one in whom they delighted and worshipped in the end, when they finally arrived. Last week, you might remember, last Sunday night, Scott took us through the last type of that, of that um, playlist of psalms, and this week we find today's psalm is very similar to where the psalms of ascent began in Psalm 120. The people of God are dealing with opposition of some sort from ungodly neighbors. So we know we're back to album one. This is a psalm of cry, a cry of distress to the Lord. And tonight we'll see that although being the recipient of such contempt can be really hard to keep looking to the one to whom we are affiliated, our God, that is not a naive thing to do. That is not a useless endeavor as some around us might think and mock us for. Actually, it's the only logical thing for the Christian to do and to keep doing. And if you're not a, a Christian listening in today, you've been invited by your friend or family member to look into Christian things, that's great. We're really, really glad to have you with us. And as you listen tonight, maybe you'll sympathize. Maybe you won't. But hopefully you'll understand why Christians don't just fold under the pressure, why we can have real confidence in our God, even if being affiliated with him would cause us to be bullied, for us to have emotional pain. We're going to look at this um, in two sections under two headings, verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And there are only four verses, and some of you are very excited, thinking this is going to be a really quick sermon. And some of you are experienced enough to know better. Either way, it will be a really wonderful time spent in God's Word. Under the first heading now, number one, God's hand is the only place to look for mercy. Verses 1 and 2. Let me read them again for us. A song of ascents to you. I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. I wonder if you notice the repeated word? The eyes. They're lifted up to the Lord, they look to the hand of the Master. They look to Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, the God. That's where mercy is to be found. And we'll think about this mercy a wee bit later on, but it's good for us to note now that the mercy being longed for here is what mercy is. It's an undeserved deliverance. It's genuine help, favor from God to take out of a difficult situation. And what the psalmist had in mind is twofold. He, he was thinking of an improvement in their situation. We don't know exactly what was going on, but we know that it was hard, and, and the contempt of the other nations around them really, really hurt. Secondly, this mercy they longed for was also displayed in their longing to finally arrive. This journey is a difficult one. Take us home, Lord. Have mercy on us. We long to arrive at Jerusalem. Take us there quickly. And for us today, like the psalmist, God's mercy can be 
displayed in our lives as an improvement in, in our situation. People's lives change. Political systems change. But ultimately, like the psalmist, the mercy we long for is a rival. We know that God's mercy will be shown to us in the future. Eternal life secured by his son on the cross. To the Christian, that is the ultimate mercy, the ultimate undeserved deliverance. And it will be fully experienced by him or her. So, in the language of the psalm, we look with our eyes to God for this mercy. Probably most familiar with this kind of looking on with our eyes metaphor from Psalm 121 that, that Johnny preached from a wee while ago. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come. And that idea is one of longing expectation, we've already said. And whereas in Psalm 121, we're looking to the hills, in this Psalm, we're looking longingly at God himself. And the psalmist describes this relationship that he has with God in a couple of different ways. Firstly, in verse 1, he is the one who is enthroned in the heavens. What does that mean? It means that God is a powerful king of everything. He's the ultimate ruler above all things. There's nothing over which he has no claim. There's not a situation into which he cannot enact his will. Who else would you turn to? Who else would you look to? There's no one more qualified. There's no one more powerful. As those who are at ease, those who are proud, they look down at us, their words sting. It may be tempting to join them. Maybe it seems like power and rule are on their sides, but they are nowhere near God's level. And what's amazing is that whereas in the rest of the psalm, the pronouns are, are plural, they're us and ours, and, and rightly speaking, speaking of our relationship with God as a people. But here in verse 1, the pronouns, they're singular. It's I and you. When looking to, this, looking to this God, who is so far above any of us and what we can imagine, we can do so intimately, personally. To you, I lift up my eyes. And that's incredible. Not only is he the one that really has the power to change this difficult situation, to deliver those who do not deserve it. He is not far away. He's not out of earshot. To you, God, I lift up my eyes. The one who is enthroned in the heavens. Secondly, the psalmist goes on to describe what this relationship with God and his people is like. In the first half of verse 2, have a look at that. It's, it's like a servant looking to his master's hand. And the image here isn't one of oppression, as we might assume when we hear those words, but it's the exact opposite. It's provision, it's care, it's support. The servants aren't afraid of the master, but they look to him longingly, expectantly, for what they know that he can give from his hand. It's from his hand that come their sustenance and support. Again, where else would they look? This is your master. Look to his hand. It'd be silly to leave this household and go looking for support from another master's hand. No, to my master's hand, I look for support. And the psalmist knows this. 
And then thirdly, there's another reason why he's so sure. Again, at the end of verse 2, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. I mentioned earlier that Lord spelt here, uh, is spelt here with capital letters, L-O-R-D. And that's just a translator's way of referring to the fact that the covenant name of God is being used here as, just, as opposed to just a title. It's Yahweh. And that name was revealed to Moses and to the people of God during the events of the Exodus when God's mercy was displayed in extraordinary ways. They were rescued through the plagues and the Red Sea into a relationship with this God who was just, wasn't just any God, but he was Yahweh God to, him, to them. When they arrive at the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, he reminds them he is Yahweh. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. When he renews his covenant commitment to them, he reminds them once more, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Not only is this God the king, powerful over all, not only is he your master, what a privilege. It is in his character to be merciful to his people. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't owe anyone anything, but he chooses to be. He has been before in the Exodus and other times in Israel's history to look for his hand, to his hand for mercy. Makes sense. So the psalmist can say, our eyes look to the Lord till... He has mercy on us. It's surely coming. That undeserved deliverance. Where else would you look? Who else can you be sure will be merciful to you? I hope you're getting a sense of the confidence the psalmist has in his God. It's amazing how he can speak so boldly of his longing for God's mercy, of his expectancy, given what they're experiencing is not easy. I mean, can you imagine if any of these proud and comfortable people heard the psalmist pray this prayer of verse 1 and 2? The ridicule would increase tenfold. Where's your God now? Keep crying out to him. Nothing's going to happen. But we can still be confident. And this confidence is well-founded. Let me be clear about, we've seen why that confidence is well-founded as we look through verses 1 and 2, but let me be clear about what this confidence is, is not like. Do you remember um, those, like, awful X-Factor auditions or American Idol or, or Britain's Got Talent. Often the most confident people that walked into that audition room saying they were definitely going to win were the least talented. And when the red crosses start popping up and, and the no's come from the, the judges and the critique that sometimes was contempt and mockery, started being expressed, they'd have none of it. They would leave the audition room and they'd have their kind of last interview with Dharma O'Leary or whoever it was, I think, at the time. And every time they would say something along the lines of, they're wrong, 
I'm not listening to those judges. I'm going to keep going. They were expressing confidence, but as we all watched on from the comfort of our homes, we are thinking these people are deluded. It's a false confidence. There's nothing to back it up. What the psalmist is not asking, he's not telling us to be a bad X-factor auditionee. Just ignore the naysayers and the haters. Muster up some sort of inner fortitude. Believe in yourself and just keep going. That is delusion. And that is what some around us think we are doing as Christians. But the psalmist is not deluding himself primarily because he's not ignoring the comments. If he was, then it would be delusion, but he's not. He's really hurt by them. And they might be bringing up all sorts of insecurities and fears and doubts in him. However, when all is considered, as he looks outside of himself, beyond his situation, he sees an incredible relationship with a powerful, merciful, knowable, and intimate God. That's the source of his confidence. So he knows better than to leave the household of this master. It seems like being free is more appealing. It would be better to serve any other idol that might relieve us of the contempt of others. Whether it be success, achievement, money, whether it be to fall in line with the common beliefs and ideologies of our time, these are more comfortable. I don't get slagged off. The Christian knows better because he knows who his God is. And so amidst difficulty, amidst contempt, disregard, disdain, he boldly continues to look to his God for mercy. That's what we'll be talking about in our second heading. So keep looking to him confidently, even though contempt is painful now. Notice the psalm doesn't end on a positive note. There's no example of vindication for the believer in light of these bullies. There's no illustration of how that might happen in the future. We're left still longing, still looking for that mercy. And that is powerfully representative of the experience of the people of God in this psalm. We are hopeful, we are confident, rightfully so, but it still hurts. Look at how the psalmist describes it in verses 3 and 4. We have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough, literally in the Hebrew. Our throats are full. We can't take anymore. I wonder if you can relate to that. Personally, how do you feel in that walk to the Zoom water cooler on a Monday morning? None of those guys are made fun of for anything, but I get the church-goer comments every week. Still going to church? They all laugh at my expense. The subject has to change quickly sometimes when I walk in the room. The laughter stops. Or maybe the field of, that you work in is particularly difficult. In the sciences or, or medicine or social services or education, the arts. 
People know. They talk behind your back. Disregard your backward views to your face. Or maybe you dread going to see those friends. You know those friends. Maybe friends that, that would describe themselves as atheists or something along those lines. Friends that you know have a problem with the church. They have a problem with faith, God, all of it. Maybe they were part of a church for a while at some point in their lives, but now they see it as a useless and stupid thing. And you want to go and you want to be friendly, but maybe you're wondering if it's worth it giving the things that are going to be said. Or your teacher in high school, your lecturer at uni, says things to the class about Jesus, Christianity, just to get a laugh. And the people in the class all laugh and they look at you as they laugh. And you can't say anything back. Or maybe you're a student at home or, or someone else at home just now with family that aren't Christians. And every other day you'll hear a, a scoffing comment or a reaction. Maybe it's happened um, more often maybe over lockdown. Maybe it happened today. I'll be a bit late for lunch. I'm tuning in for church. The eyes roll. The temper flares up. Just hurry up then, they say. Happening between you and your spouse at home. It's not that your confidence is shaken. It's just hard. Now, I'm treated as lesser, with less patience, with less compassion. I'm walking on eggshells. If that's you, just think of how amazing it is that this Sam is here. It's okay to feel like this. In a book filled with Psalms that talk about physical opposition, threats of death and war, this kind of suffering for the believer is absolutely recognized as a thing that is really difficult to deal with. So if this is you, please do share. Talk to someone in your small group. Those who lead those groups, talk to someone. Again, we know that verses 1 and 2 are true. We are certain of that. And as we talk to others in our church family, we're reminded of those truths, and that's good. But it doesn't necessarily make the walk to the water cooler on a Monday morning any easier. It's okay for it to hurt and to be difficult. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Have mercy upon us. The psalmist is looking to his God, longing for that deliverance. He knows he doesn't deserve it, but he knows his God. And he could be confident in this cry because of, he knew what his God was like. He knew what he had done in the past. Let me say, as Christians today, we can have even more confidence. Because we can look to Jesus. And as we do, we see God on earth experiencing the same thing. As he hung on the cross, bearing the punishment for sin, so that God's mercy could be freely given to the undeserving sinners around him. What did they say? Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. 
come down from the cross. He saved others and he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Can you hear that? Contempt for their creator king. Compassionate, merciful, displaying the extent to which that mercy would go so merciful that he would take on the punishment they deserved. And yet they do not see that. Instead, all they do is mock and ridicule. So remember, our God, as well as all that we have said, can completely empathize with our experience. He knows what it's like. What the psalmist longed for in his situation was for it to improve. And as I said, it may be the case that in our lives we may experience some relief in this regard. Our circumstances change. Attitudes of those around us might change. Certainly my friends have become a lot more mature. I don't hear nearly enough of that kind of stuff uh, now that I did back then. And for that, we should be grateful. But like the psalmist, we long most deeply to arrive at home. The full experience of the mercy that God showed us in Jesus on the cross. Freedom from sin and hope of everlasting life or contempt stinging words and disregard will be a thing of the past because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. We long for this mercy to arrive. And though it may not be experienced now, as we look at what our God is like and what our relationship with him is like, we know it will. Jesus endured the cross and contempt that came with it on our behalf to secure that mercy for us. And so one last word in in conclusion, as the world looks on at, at Christians, they might well mockingly say, Ha, where's your God now? Well, this psalmist knows, and we know, where he is. He's enthroned in the heavens, not distant, but a gracious master from whose hands come amazing mercy, particularly seen in Jesus and what he achieved on the cross. Amidst the difficulties we face and the contempt of this world, our eyes turn to him. And that is not a naive thing to do, as those around us might think. That is the only sure thing to do. Where else can you look but the hand of your master? Who else is more qualified? Who else can empathize so perfectly? No one else. So to him, our eyes turn. And as the hymn we're about to sing says, we wait in eager expectation together. With all creation we groan, Lord, haste the day. The key is slain by glory, the day you call us, your son and daughter's home. Let me pray as we finish. Father, you are our merciful king. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that you don't stand aloof, you're not indifferent, that you know 
the contempt that we experience from the world around us. Please encourage us in our hearts tonight with that truth, even though it's still hard. We are so grateful, Father, that because of Jesus, because he rose from the grave, we can be absolutely sure that we will experience your mercy in full one day. We long for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.